This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Oh, what a great song. So we have been in a series on 1 Timothy. If you are new with us today, we're walking through 1 Timothy uh, verse by verse. And today we've come to chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16, talk about Mark's of faithful ministry. I did not plan this passage for Pastor Appreciation Day, but this is probably out of all the passages in 1 Timothy, this is the one that goes most directly to the the work of a pastor, but there's a larger application here as well to every believer. So let's dig into it this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to look this morning at verses 11 through 16. You'll follow along in your copy of God's Word. Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that, that you are the good shepherd, the, the, the great shepherd that we can, can, can look to um, and that you have done that perfectly, that you have done great things as we sung about earlier. Lord, we, we pray that you would teach us to abide uh, in, in Christ in, in all things. We pray that you would draw us close to, to you. And Lord, help, help all of us, as, as all of us in a way are called to, to ministry, not, all, not everyone's called to vocational ministry, but all of us are called to, to ministry. Lord, we wanna do that faithfully. And we wanna represent you well. And so we lift up this time to you. Lord, speak to us, make our minds and our hearts ready to receive the food of your holy word as we sung earlier and plant it deep within us and conform us more and more to the likeness of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray, amen. I remember the first plane trip that I ever took. It was on Eastern Airlines, which no longer exist. And uh, my, my dad had some uh, business-related meetings down in, in Florida, but uh, we were also gonna go to Disney World. That was gonna be part of the, the package that week. And so I was excited about going to Disney for the first time uh, and excited about flying for the first time. And Disney was magical, but flying too, especially taking off, was kind of magical. Taking off in a plane for the first time. I was not afraid. I was just excited about it. 
And I think about that now because, you know, flying these days, I, a lot of times when, I, when, when I'm flying, I get on the plane. A lot of times I've got on, you know, kind of noise cancellation uh, headphones and I'm, I'm, I'm working or reading and I'm kind of engrossed in what I'm doing. And a lot of times we're cruising at 35,000 feet and I'll look around and say, oh, wow, we, 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 we took off. You know, I didn't, I didn't, even, didn't even notice. Every day across the world, about 100,000 planes take off and land and nobody notices. But you let one of those planes, especially a major carrier, fall to the ground and it is going to be breaking news scrolling across the bottom of the screen. Now think about that in relation to ministry. Because every day around the world, there are hundreds of thousands of pastors that are seeking to live for the Lord and be faithful to his word and be faithful uh, to, to ministry. And, and, and they are not noticed, but if one celebrity pastor gets embroiled in a scandal, I mean, it's all over the internet. Today, we're gonna talk about faithful ministry. What does that look like? And yes, there's a special application here for pastors, which we'll talk about, but there's a larger application here too, because Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that God gives pastors to the church to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the congregation. That's all the believers, right? Pastors are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So in a way, all of us are called to ministry. How do we do that faithfully? So let's look at, at three things from this text. First of all, let's talk about the example of faithful ministry. The example of faithful ministry. Check out verse 12. Paul says, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, scholars believe that Timothy was in his early to mid-30s when this letter was written. So, you know, he's not a kid, but he was younger than the wayward elders in Ephesus who had caused so much trouble, who had gone rogue and become false teachers. He was younger than them. And Paul knew that as Timothy sets about the task of helping this church right the ship, that these false teachers were going to be looking for any, anything that they could find to be dismissive of him. And so there's a twofold message here when he says, don't let anyone, anyone despise your youth. Um, he's, he's writing to the church because remember, we've talked about the fact, this is not a private letter to Timothy. This letter is going to be read to the congregation. So Paul is sending a message here to the congregation. Look, don't look down on Timothy because of his age. He is equipped to do what he's doing and I have sent him to do what he's doing on my apostolic authority. So there's a message to the congregation and then there's a personal message to Timothy when he says, don't let anyone, anyone despise your youth. He is saying to, to Timothy, you know, don't worry about these guys who are, who, are, who are looking down on you. Instead, you live in such a way 
that the people who love the Lord will look up to you. Set an example. Now, that applies to every believer, right? Because we're all setting an example. There was a famous commercial uh, back in the, the, the 90s, uh, back when Charles Barkley was playing, playing basketball and before he became a, a, a TV personality, a commentator. But in this commercial, Charles Barkley said, I am not a role model. But that's really not true <laughs> because all of us are serving as models. All of us are setting an example the question is whether we're setting a good example or a bad example. And the word example here, when he, when he says here in verse 12, set an example, that, that word example in Greek, it's a very, very powerful word. It means an impression made by something. And, and it was a word that was used when, when people talked about a, a, the impression that a mold made. Like when, if you're baking cookies or something, if you, you've got flour, you know, you've got a mold and that, that dough is going to take the shape of, you know, whatever that is, a Christmas tree or a gingerbread man or, or, or whatever, you know, an, impre an impression made by pressing down into something. That's the meaning of the word example here. And so what he is saying is that you want to live in such a way that others take your shape, and it's the right shape. So ask the question, what if other people took the shape of your life? Now, now we, we use kind of an expression in modern day English that, that kind of comes from this as well. Sometimes we'll say it about parents and kids, we'll say the kids are cut from the same mold, same, same idea here. What if people were cut from your mold? Your example. And then he gives, he gives five areas where we want to set an example. And the first is, is speech, uh, speech. He says, um, and, and you know, he's not talking about preaching here at this point. He's going to get to that later in the passage. At this point, this word is about everyday speech. Just your everyday speech, the way that you talk, right? The, the words that you say and how you say them. Ephesians 4 and verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, we talk about the damage that the tongue can do. You know, James talks about that in many other passages. The tongue can be so lethal, can do so much damage. But listen, God can use our, our, our tongues, our speech as conduits, channels of grace to people. Get up every day and, and think about, you know, I want to use my mouth, my speech, everything I say, and the way that I say it in a way that communicates the grace of God to people. Wow. So set an example in speech, second in conduct, all right? So he, he transitions here from words to actions, right? Your overall behavior, your conduct. Third, in your love. This past week, we, we set the uh, thermostat on heat for the first time and then had to turn it back to cool <laughs> after that. But you know, on that, that 
that thing on our wall, you know, there's a thermometer that tells you kind of what the temperature is, but there's a thermostat that sets temperature. By setting an example of love, you set the tone of love in, in whatever room that you're in, right? You can make that, that temperature warmer, the temperature of love warmer in whatever conversation, whatever setting that you're in. Be an example of love. And then set an example in faith. Do you model what it means to trust God in everyday situations? You know, my, my dad was so great at this in, in, in my life because, you know, whenever I faced a challenge or a problem, you know, he could always, he would always say to me, you know what? We can trust God with this. You know, son, you can trust God with this. And he would point me away from the problem and toward the power and faithfulness of God. Do you do that for people? Do you model what it means to trust God? You know, to walk in confident and calm trust in the Lord. Set an example in faith and then in purity. We're gonna talk about this more next week in chapter five, but in chapter five and verse two, he tells Timothy to treat younger women in the congregation as sisters in all purity. So we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're sacred siblings in the Lord and we, we treat each other with, um, with purity. Much more about that next week. Now think about these five areas. Could you say, Talk the way that I talk. Live the way that I live. Love the way that I love. Trust God in the way that I trust God. Have a pure mind and heart in the way that I have a pure mind and heart. I find it striking that the Apostle Paul makes statements like the ones he makes in Philippians 3.17. He says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. It's bold. Again, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now listen, we know that Paul wasn't perfect. Paul was a sinner. But yet, he was living for the Lord to such an extent that he could make statements like this. That's a challenge, right? It's a challenge to all of us to be that kind of example. So, the example of faithful ministry. Second, the message of faithful ministry. Let's check out verse 11. He says, command and teach these things. Now, first of all, command. Listen, these false teachers in Ephesus, they've gotta be commanded to stop. And the, and, the, and the verse that kind of laid out the whole thesis of the letter in chapter one and verse three, Paul says, remain in Ephesus that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine. Timothy could not go into the situation in Ephesus and, and you know, say to these false teachers, hey, you know, it would be kind of a good idea if you guys could tone it down on the lies and the heresy. <laughs> Can't do that. He's gotta command them to stop. So the false teachers have got to be commanded, but the saints need to be instructed. They need teaching. Now, how was he to do that? Well, he tells us in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. And in the, and in the Greek, all three of these things have the definite article in front of them. In other words, it literally, it says, 
the public reading, the exhortation, the teaching. Why is that significant? Because what it's telling us is that all three of these elements were part of their weekly worship gathering. When they gathered for worship, there was the public reading, there was the exhortation, there was the teaching. Now, they weren't the only elements of their worship service. We know that they sung, we know that they prayed, but when it came to how they dealt with the word of God, this is what they did. First of all, there was a reading of scripture which carried over from the, the, the world of the, of the synagogue in the Old Testament. You know, when Jesus goes into Nazareth, into the synagogue, what, is, what does he do? He opens up the scroll to Isaiah 61 and he reads. So the early church, as they began to, to meet, that's what they did. They would read the scripture. Not only from, sometimes from the Old Testament, but then also sometimes from the scriptures that we now know as the New Testament. And so you see in Colossians 4 and verse 16, he says, after this letter has been read at your gathering, that means your worship service, your weekly worship service, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. Um, again, in 1 Thessalonians 5.27, he says, I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. In Revelation chapter one and verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So, uh, you know, again, there, there was sometimes that public reading of scripture was from the Old Testament, but some, sometimes also from what we now know as the New Testament. And so there would be a, a reading of the scripture and then there would be an exhortation. This is preaching. And the exhortation, the pastor was urging the congregation to follow, to trust, to obey what had been read. And then there was a teaching in which what had been read was, was, was explained and unpacked exposed, that, that's what expository preaching does. It exposes what is there in the word of God. It brings it out, brings it to light, exposes what is there, expositional preaching. John Stott says this, it was taken for granted from the beginning that Christian preaching would be expository preaching. That is, that all Christian instruction and exhortation would be drawn out of the passage that had been read. That is so crucial and so increasingly rare in churches today that the preaching is, is expositional preaching, but it is so vital. So obviously, this is crucial for pastors. The message to pastors is be an expositor of the scripture. But there's also a message to the church. This is what you should look for in a pastor. The first thing that you should look for if you're looking for a church is, is, is the word of God taught expositionally? And then give space to the pastor to do that because in order to do it well, it requires a lot of digging, a lot of studying. Give him the space to do that. 
in Acts chapter 6, when the first deacons were, were chosen, it says there that they did that so that the apostles, which were performing pastoral ministry at that point in the church of Jerusalem, could be devoted to the word of God and prayer. Okay, so the, so the message of faithful ministry, it's the word. Third, the passion of faithful ministry. Now this whole, whole passage pulsates with passion. And we see these action phrases, right? Verse 12, set an example. Verse 13, give your attention. And then he says in verse 14, he says, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Now the gift that Timothy had been given undoubtedly in context was a gift of preaching and teaching. And Paul says, do not neglect your gift. Instead, you are to fan it into a flame. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he's saying, Timothy, don't neglect your gift of preaching and teaching. Fan it into a flame. Kindle it. Sharpen it. Develop it. Use it. And then in verse 15, he tells him how to use it. He says, practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Now that word practice, it means continually practice. And it's another athletic metaphor. It's, it carries over from verses 7 and 8 and verse 10 where he also used athletic metaphors. But this word practice means to exercise yourself. Exercise yourself in these things, Timothy, and be committed to them. Work at them. Work at your teaching and preaching ministry. Dig into the word. Study to show yourself approved. Continue to develop it. Sharpen it. Continue to grow in it. And when you do that, the people in the congregation who love the Lord and love his word will appreciate it. And they will see your growth. Your progress will be evident to all. And then verse 16, this, oh, what a great word for all of us. Verse 16, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Pay close attention. Watch. Watch carefully two things. First of all, Watch your life. If your life comes apart, that your teaching ministry comes apart. So first of all, watch your life. First Peter chapter five and verse eight says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, that passage is not just written to pastors. Right, 1 Peter 5, 8 is written to all believers. We have a supernatural enemy that wants to take us down and out. But I think there's a special relevance to pastors because I think Satan attacks pastors even more because if he can you know, take out the, the, the shepherd, then it has a, a bad Im, uh, impact on the flock. And so pray for uh, your pastors in this regard. We must all stay 
close to Christ. We sung that great song, Abide. Abide in Christ. You know, like the, 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 the branch is connected to the vine, right? If you're abiding in Christ, you, you know, Satan can't, can't touch you, right? Stay close to Jesus and you will stay clean in your life. So watch your life and then watch your teaching by sticking closely to the word of God and doing all the things that he's talked about in this passage. And then at the end of verse 16, he says something that is, it can be confusing if you just look at, it, look at the text in isolation, but remember, we don't look at text in isolation. We look at it in context and we interpret scripture with scripture. He says, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now we know that this can't mean that we can save ourselves by our works. That would contradict everything else that Paul ever said. But when you look at it in its total context of the things that he says, it makes total sense. Let's look at Ephesians 2 and verses eight through 10. He says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, that's verses eight and nine. Can there be any doubt about how we're saved here? None. Do works contribute anything to our salvation? No. I agree with Jonathan Edwards. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> you know, our works don't have anything to do with our salvation. It's all, it's all of grace it's the gift of God. It's not of work so that no one can, can boast. It's a pure gift of God. But those who are genuinely saved by grace through faith are gonna produce fruit. The result of saving faith is going to be fruit. It's gonna result in good works, right? He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. If someone is genuinely saved, that is going to be seen. There is going to be, there is going to be fruit, and there is going to be a faith that perseveres. Now, we see this all over the New Testament. I'll cite just a few examples. 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you. Again, in Colossians 1, 22 and 23. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Again, in Mark 13, 13, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. In Hebrews 3 and verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, for we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Now these passages are not teaching that a Christian can lose his or her salvation. What they certainly are teaching is that a genuine believer, someone who's truly born again, will persevere in their faith. 
And this is especially crucial in this letter because there are people who had apostatized. These false teachers have turned away and denied the faith. And Paul says their spiritual status is not that they were once saved and now they're not saved anymore. No, he says the fact that they have apostatized, the fact that they have turned away from Christ and denied him is evidence that they were never saved to begin with. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19 says they went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. Now, how does this relate? How does all of this teaching about perseverance relate to what he's saying here at the end of verse 16? He says to Timothy, persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is telling Timothy this. As you persevere in these things, you will demonstrate the reality of your own salvation and as you persevere in these things, you will be the means of helping the believers to demonstrate the reality of their own salvation as they are encouraged to persevere in their faith. Now, when we look at the totality of all of this, okay, the whole passage, there are two things that we need to see. There's a challenge to live this out. I mean, wow. This is just one of those passages that, I mean, is just such a huge challenge for all of us to live this out. But second, there's a challenge to look to the only one who lived this out perfectly. Because it was only Jesus who set the perfect example, who lived the perfectly sinless life that we could never live. We look to him. It was the Lord Jesus who embodied the message who not only perfectly held to the word, but who was the word. And we look to Jesus, whose, whose passionate love for us took him all the way to the cross on our behalf, where he died in our place for our sins and rose from the dead that we might have eternal life. Let's pray together. What about you? Do you know Christ? Look to him today. Trust him today. Give your life to him. Trust that he died for sinners like you on the cross and that he rose from the dead. Trust that he reigns as king, that he lives. Turn your life over to him today. Trust in him. Yield your life to him. He will receive you. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your past is, what you're going through in your life today. There is no sin so deep that his grace is not deeper still. Turn to Jesus and trust him. Christian, what a challenge for us today. What kind of, of example are you setting in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity? 
What if, people, what if the people around you were, were cut from your mold? There's, a, there's an application, too, about the priority of the word of God in our lives. That's the message. If Timothy is to stay faithful to the word, that means every believer is to prioritize the word of God in your life. Are you digging into the scripture? How is your zeal? How is your passion for ministry? If there's been any slippage in your passion, you can rest assured it's not Christ who moved. It's that we've moved away from him. Draw near to him today. He'll draw near to you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would live these things out, Lord. That in the example that we set, uh, Lord, that in the message that we bear, um, that in the passion that we do that with, Lord, that we would, that we would represent Christ. That's in his name that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short, but that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus died in my place and rose from the dead so that I could right now. I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.